Hey, good evening everyone. Welcome to our evening Dhamma. Tonight we're looking at right effort. So the Buddha was quite Uh, adamant about the importance of effort he said it is by effort well, that one overcomes suffering he said at one point I think something like tell me monks what cannot be achieved by striving the Buddha had such a memory of the things he'd accomplished by striving and the realization that there's very little that can't be accomplished if you work at it. It's an interesting aspect of the uh, worldview of rebirth that takes away the limits on what's what's possible for a, a being to accomplish right because a human being can can only accomplish so much no human being is ever going to travel to the edge of the universe not physically well and not today anyway it's not going to happen the way things are, but the potential for it is always there, far beyond what we normally think possible, of course, because um, it, based on our state of mind, our uh, next existence, our state of being might be quite different. And we talk about beings like angels and gods And the potential for that sort of an existence I mean, it, it changes everything really As far as what's possible So the Buddha was stressed this quite a bit How, how through effort things are accomplished Not by lack of effort But it's important to understand this in a sort of a nuanced way um, Because the ordinary way of, of approaching effort is to just push ahead Just work, work, work Push yourself Push yourself to limit and push yourself beyond your limit And to some extent that's what we do in meditation, right? Our limits of pain, we push ourselves beyond them Our limits of patience, we certainly push ourselves beyond those limits But the goal really isn't to be working, working, working I mean, it's not to feel like work A lot of people talk about meditation being effortless And of course that's a very dangerous thing to say because it's very easy to get lazy 
It's easy to mix effortlessness with with laziness. Being lazy is quite effortless, right? It doesn't take a lot of effort, or so it seems. I think ultimately the word effortlessness is is a useful description. But effortlessness only comes when you have perfect effort. Because laziness, in fact, is quite stressful. Have you ever tried lying in bed all day? You can't do it for even an hour or two. It's quite stressful. In fact, the meditation isn't stressful at all. It's our, to some extent, our laziness or our inefficiency. The problem is not the meditation, it's that we're not very good at it. Like anything, like any training. And when you get really good at it, it is quite seemingly effortless, but it's, it's misleading because there's a lot of effort. It's just the effort is effortless. You don't have to work to work because you're good at working. That's an point, a point that I think we don't often, or that, that we don't realize, is that the natural state, the perfect natural state is not one of, it's not lazy. It's not a state of zero, it's a state of 100. Perfect. Perfect efficiency. An enlightened being is, has perfect energy. They are unflagging, unrelentingly mindful. They are constantly uh, engaged in wholesomeness. Their mind is so so full of energy. It's an important point to realize. If you feel tired. If you feel like you're pushing yourself to meditate This isn't the problem with the meditation This is uh, th this is what we have to get rid of Energy, effort is not feeling uh, like you're pushing yourself Effort is getting rid of the laziness It's getting rid of the imbalance Once everything is balanced, it feels like there's nothing there It feels like a perfectly tuned musical instrument right when the when the you only notice when the instrument is out of tune if you untune one of the strings then you notice something's something's there once it's in tune you stop noticing there's harmony that's what it feels like so right effort right effort isn't so much about pushing yourself It's much more about uh, focusing and, and uh, directing your attention, directing your efforts rightly. So all the striving to gain and acquire things that can't possibly satisfy us, we give that up in favor of striving for striving for not striving really. Striving for a perfectly tuned state of being. 
So there are four right efforts, and it's quite a simple formula. You have wholesomeness and you have unwholesomeness. So it's about orienting our, our efforts properly. Unwholesomeness that hasn't arisen, it takes effort to keep it from arising. Right? When you see something that you want, it takes effort to just see it. When you uh, hear some noise that dis would disturb you, take eff takes effort, effort to stay mindful so that everything we experience, when pain arises, to experience it just as pain and not let the unwholesomeness arise. That's right effort. Unwholesomeness is of three kinds. There's unwholesome actions. This is when you act or speak. That's what we've been talking about recently. Uh, when you act or speak unwholesome in an unwholesome manner, this is wrong action, wrong speech. This, this is the vitakama kilesa. This means things that are expressed. I talk about this. The second type of unwholesomeness is called pariyutana kilesa or akusala. This is in the mind, thoughts. So preventing the th your thoughts from turning to unwholesomeness takes effort. And anusaya, the third one is anusaya. These are defilements that haven't yet arisen. Or these are the tendencies, rooting them out. Anyway, so the first one is to not have them arise. Mainly the first two, I guess. Put out effort not to kill and not to steal, that kind of thing. Put out effort to prevent bad thoughts, unwholesome thoughts. And those that have arisen, unwholesomeness that has arisen, you make effort to dispel them. So when anger or greed arise, you do what you can to get rid of them. There's the question, how do you get rid of bad thoughts? How do you get rid of your un unpleasant, unwholesome emotions? How do you get rid of anger? It's, a, it's an important question. It's one that, that is dealt with in the Buddha's teaching. There are different ways. Our ordinary way is to try and push it away. This is what you might say is effort. You might think it's it's right effort to force yourself not to get angry. You might think it's right effort to cultivate love when you're anger, angry, for example, or cultivate um, dispassion when you're when you're passionate. Find some way to cultivate the opposite. And this is this works temporarily. I mean, this sort of effort is is beneficial in a temporary sense. But in in insight meditation, in mindfulness meditation, right effort for us is to understand things like greed and anger, to understand our defilements. So the effort that we put out is not to get rid of things. It's not to change. It's not to fix. It's to understand. When you have something that's causing you stress or suffering, if you have pain, 
try to understand the pain and when you don't like it try to understand the disliking rather than reacting to it getting upset by it when you have emotions of fear or worry liking or disliking try and learn about those emotions this takes effort you know mindfulness the quality of mindfulness it manifests itself as confronting the objective field so it it doesn't waver it doesn't run away from it doesn't chase it away doesn't uh, doesn't cling to it the effort to just stand your ground not be moved not be shaken by experiences to just stay with it it's, it takes quite effort just to understand something and this is the change that has to come about so that eventually through over time we see things objectively as they are without uh, without reacting to them and the other two so, so these are the first two types of right effort uh, preventing unwholesomeness from arising and removing unwholesomeness that has already arisen the other two are regards to wholesomeness wholesomeness that has not yet arisen work to, to give rise to it work to do good deeds is a very simple way you, know, you want to learn right effort do good things be charitable, be ethical, practice meditation, cultivate wholesome mind states, loving kindness, for example, concentration, practice tranquility meditation, these are all good things. Of course, in, in, in an ultimate sense, it means cultivating mindfulness and wisdom, the highest, best you know, wholesomeness our mindfulness and wisdom so the right effort to be mindful this is the, the awakening that happens during the course you start to see yourself you start to really be here and now this is giving rise to a new sort of wholesomeness it's not just being a kind or nice person it's being a wise and uh, clear-minded person so when you close your eyes and you see yourself the physical and the mental it's giving rise to something new a new state a state of mind that is objective clear wise that sees things as they are and then protect that the fourth one is when unwholesome when wholesomeness has arisen once you're being mindful you know work to keep it and this is really the trick as you go on in the practice you'll be meditating you'll be mindful and then your mind slips off it's very easy to get distracted very hard to pull yourself back again so you work to stay on that razor's edge of the present moment it's not something you can get stuck on. If you get lazy, you get carried away, swept away. You have to keep yourself constantly here, now, here, now, again and again and again. 
That's why we use the mantra. It's kind of like a a rope to pull us back to the present moment. So when we engage in good deeds, when we uh, avoid unwholesomeness, this is right effort. Vijayena Dukkha Majeti Through effort we overcome suffering. It's just important to understand what is right effort. Again, not just pushing yourself, but building up the effort to just be the effort to observe objectively and mindfully in the present moment. So that's the brief teaching on right effort. Thank you all for tuning in. Let's see if there are questions. Oh, a bunch of questions. Right, I've been away for a few days. You all should just go. Please don't stay for this. What's the delay when I become aware of a thought after it arises? Is it possible to reduce that delay? Yes, for sure. As you um, as you cultivate the practice over time, you, you get more skilled at it. But I mean, it takes work. And it takes time. If you're interested in in cultivating that, I'd encourage you to do a meditation course. You'll find you're better able to catch the thoughts earlier especially during the course itself. I have a lot of anger. Sometimes I feel I'll never be able to remove it. I've been meditating for three years, but decide to give it up because it's too difficult. What can I do? I feel hopeless. Hmm. Well, the first step, or one of the important steps of meditation, is to see that you can't remove it, to stop trying to remove it. Now, that self, that's ego, that's this control. Stop trying to get rid of the anger. Start trying to understand it. That's not an easy thing, and it's not just going to fix your problem. Stop trying to fix it. Stop seeing it as a problem. Anger is just anger. And break it up. It's not just the anger. It's also the pain that it brings you and the physical sensations of heat and frustration and, and stress. Uh, and break it up with the thoughts, the thoughts about the anger, the thoughts that lead to the anger, that kind of thing. They're separate. All these things are separate from each other. The experiences that make you angry, seeing, hearing, whatever.
as you can probably see now that giving up wasn't the answer either giving up didn't give you, didn't free you from the anger so but giving up can be useful when you give up meditating for example that can be a useful moment because it's a moment of of realizing i can't fix this it's an important realization in meditation so when that happens start meditating again you'll find it's probably easier because you're less inclined to try to get rid of it thus of course then you're less angry as a result said something like it's not about feeling happy happiness comes from not feeling at all well that's not really not quite what I said um, but so feeling happy means to feel something that we like and um, that we're attached to or we, we desire no, that, that we like no but that's not real happiness because those feelings come and they go and they they actually don't mean anything in the end it's just our judgment that leads us to like them and that liking of course leads to further clinging and frustration when we don't get what we want and so we're constantly in this push and pull and it's not really happiness happiness comes when you're free from all that and freedom from all that has nothing to do with feeling so that's um Sort of a um, basic answer to your question Without going into too much detail Is it problematic to have ambitions? What drives someone to meditate? Well, ambition often drives someone to meditate But I think ambition is probably not the right word in most cases What drives people to meditate is suffering And a desire for freedom to be free from suffering and it is desire in many cases it's aversion to suffering uh, and that's not good but it's good in that it leads you to meditate once you start to meditate you start to see that that aversion is the real problem the aversion from suffering if you free yourself from that and you can learn to look at the suffering you find it doesn't cause you suffering and you really just let go of it But yes, ambitions generally are problematic because they're clinging. It's not being objective and you're unable to see things as they are when you have ambition. Are all forms of sexual indulgence inherently dukkha? Or can sexual experiences give rise to positive mind states? If expressed with loving kindness and non-attachment, can sex be a liberating practice of compassion and equanimity? I think you're stretching it. I don't know. Um, can it be? Sure. Uh, is it likely to be? I'm not convinced. No, because see, uh, an enlightened being, let's take our prime example of the enlightened being. Um, Um, really talk, talk about the unenlightened being the, the the problem with it is that it's something that leads to to great pleasure right and for two enlightened beings it wouldn't be a problem to engage in sexual intercourse I mean they'd have no reason to um, it's it's a it's sort of a something that 
you, you know, provides no purpose and serves no purpose for an enlightened being. But for unenlightened people, for anyone who wants to have sex, there's an attachment to the pleasure. Um, so technically, yes, it's possible to do anything. I mean, it's possible... It's possible to do pretty much anything. I'm just trying to think how far you can go with that. The po I mean, the point is an enlightened being wouldn't have sex because there's no point, there's no benefit to it. Um, but if, but for anyone who's not enlightened, anyway, it's not the action. Let's put it that way. Put it really simple. It's the. Uh, it's the, the state of mind So, I mean, your question is kind of I'm, I'm, I'm not clear on I think the wording could be changed a bit Sexual indulgence is not inherently dukkha um, And an act can never be An act can never be unwholesome in itself It's the mind states associated with the action that are unwholesome So, well, I mean, for example, take rape and there was this case of, a, of an enlightened bhikkhuni who was raped And, you know, it was nothing to her While it was happening, she she said to the person doing it You know, this is bad for you They didn't think of herself She said, you know, this Think about what you're doing, you know This is really a terrible thing that you're doing To yourself um, So, you know, there, there was no defilement there but uh, your question is whether it's inherently dukkha And if, if you're talking about it inherently being suffering Well every, and again getting back to the meaning of dukkha But every sankhara is dukkha So of course sexual indulgence falls under that category Meaning it's none of it going to make you happy um, but Okay, so can sexual experience give rise to wholesome mind states? So here's the question, I mean, who can have sexual intercourse without it giving rise to unwholesomeness? Um, if you're asking whether it, um, whether it's entirely unwholesome, the, the answer of course is no. I mean, many people who have sex do it with, out of love as well. They love the other person, so there are positive mind states there as well. Could you be mindful having sex? I think absolutely, yes It doesn't take away the fact that it's probably quite unwholesome But uh, I would say if you're going to have sexual intercourse, do it mindfully For sure, I mean And, and I would for sure say that there is the potential for wholesomeness It's not a, a high per potential, of course, because I'm very much caught up in the pleasure of the act, but, um, but but the point being that there is no act that is either wholesome or unwholesome, and the acts don't exist in themselves. What exists is moments of experience. So suppose you're having sexual intercourse. There's going to be moment after moment after moment, and each moment has the potential to be wholesome or unwholesome. The, what we look at is, on the whole, sexual intercourse is generally unwholesome. So. That's the reason for eventually uh, giving it up and 
you know, if you're dedicated to the practice, giving giving it up, you know, becoming a monastic or that kind of thing. Why do the bhikkhus shave their eyebrows in Thailand? There's no real, there's no real good reason. I mean, these aren't the questions. It's not a bad question. It's, it's against the rules. We don't answer these sorts of questions. But I'm not going to just outright dismiss it. But there's no good reason. It's pretty a mon mundane answer to that question. I wouldn't, wouldn't spend too much time worrying about that. Uh, right livelihood. Is it immoral to do sometimes work without paying taxes? And you have more money, well, you need less work. So you have more energy. Avoiding um, avoiding taxes is problematic. Some people would say it's stealing. You're stealing money. Um, theft has a lot to do with the government. It has a lot to do with the society. But it's a very complicated question because sometimes governments steal money from people. Many people think of taxes as theft. Um, the only, so the only record that we have regarding taxes is seeing tax evasion as theft, and the idea being that you really have to follow the government rule in that regards. If you don't pay taxes, you're stealing. So I'd be careful there. I don't know. I mean, I'm not convinced entirely of that. Um, but something to keep in mind. I mean, I don't think, as with many questions like this, there's no real set answer. It's a question about being mindful in the present moment and reacting and interacting mindfully with your situation. But if it's just about, you know, more money, less work, that's not a very good reason. Because you could rob a bank, that's not so much work. Well, it's a lot of work, but find ways to get very, very rich doing very, very bad things. To talk a little bit on what it's like to be a monk. No. Sorry. I mean, there's not much secret about it. A monk, well, there's monks do many different kinds of things, but the important thing is that you're meditating. The important thing is that you're cultivating mindfulness and morality and so on. Can monks adopt children? Again, not really the sort of question we're looking at. But um, the answer, I think, is pretty much no. Uh, it's actually not adopt, but take care of kids, yes. Monks can take care of kids, that's true. My mind wanders to old feelings, especially for old lovers. These feelings do not bother me, but while meditating they can tear me away from my focus. Well, focus on them. That should be your focus. When these thoughts arise, take them as your meditation object. You're seeing how your mind works, that the mind is chaotic, that the mind is unpredictable, and that helps you to let go, to stop trying to keep your mind from thinking certain things and so on. So when you say it tears you away from your focus, well, welcome to reality. That's the way Nate, the way the world works. We're constantly being pulled and pushed and so on, and that helps us let go, helps us see the stress inherent in samsara and, and let go. 
Is having passion a good or a bad thing? Passion generally a bad thing, yes. Because again, like ambition, it drags you on and it cultivates preference and so on. Ego, it cultivates lots of bad things. Should awareness be observed as something that is already there or as something that arises with objects of mind? Awareness arises with objects of mind. Consciousness. Consciousness is one of the five aggregates and they arise together with every experience. But if by awareness you mean meditative awareness, that's even even different because that doesn't always arise with every mind state. But when you're mindful, when you cultivate mindfulness, then uh, it will arise with the mind state or with the object. Okay, and that's the questions for tonight. Thank you. I hope I wasn't overly dismissive or smug. <laughs> Thank you.